Radio Mano Papachango. what I have to say but I'm grateful that you do and uh, in order to try to uh, honor that trust I need to begin this episode by copping to the fact that in the last Roma episode I fucked up with the difference between herpes and HPV now I talked about this in tangentially speaking so you may have already heard me talk about this I try not to bore you Um, But maybe there are people who only listen to the Roma episodes or I don't know what. But anyway, uh, Roma 16, if you downloaded it in the first few days after it went up, it contains me yammering on about herpes. And then somehow I start talking about the many strains of HPV, but I'm calling it herpes and its relationship to throat cancer and cervical cancer and yada, yada, yada. Anyway, they all just got mixed together in my head and I didn't realize it. And I posted it and then I was in the desert and somebody sent me an email saying, you fucking idiot. And they were right, of course, uh, but I was in the desert with no computer and I couldn't fix it until I got home. So I apologize for that. Uh, Herpes is not the same thing as HPV. There is a vaccine for HPV, which apparently is very effective, which you should look into. They don't give it to old farts like me. I think you have to be like under 30 to get it. Uh, Maybe it doesn't take for older people. I'm not sure what the deal with that is, but uh, they are not the same thing, despite what you may have heard me say. So my apologies. When I say there's no reason to listen to me, I'm right I'm right about that. I may be wrong about everything else, but uh, I'm right about that. Now, here's someone you should listen to. I just finished listening to Joe Rogan's, uh, the Joe Rogan Experience, episode 906, which is with Henry Rollins. And man, that's a good conversation. I highly recommend that. He's an interesting cat, that Henry Rollins. Um. Yeah, he travels all over the world. He's very driven. They talk about uh, what drives him. They talk about his eccentricities, his um, very unusual approach to life. Works for him uh, in as much as anything works for anyone. Uh, But it's just a very interesting, wide-ranging conversation between two guys who are very similar in many ways and very very different in other ways Um, but they obviously respect each other and admire each other and you can just see their their friendship growing as the conversation progresses it's a it's a really beautiful thing to see so I recommend that episode 906 Joe Rogan Henry Rollins as for me I am leaving I'm recording this on a Sunday afternoon I'm leaving tomorrow morning to spend a week in Spain which is going to be uh, a challenging week for me for various reasons. I'm I'm going to be seeing one of my closest friends who's going through some really difficult times, and uh, that's always hard to see. Her 
husband is very sick. Her mother is very sick. She's got two little kids. She doesn't have any brothers or sisters. She's sort of on her own. Um, I think I'm as close to a brother as she has. Uh, she's my ex. We were together for six years. She's a lovely woman. And you may have heard me talk about her in other places. I've talked about the, how proud I am of the way that we managed to transition out of our uh, relationship uh, as a couple into our current relationship as very close friends, siblings, whatever it is we are. Um, but it's so hard, you know, to to uh, to know what to do, what to say when somebody's going through extreme difficulty in their lives and uh there's not there's really not much you can do uh on a practical level you know to try to to fix things it's not like the roof is leaking or you know brush needs clearing or the garage needs cleared out or you know they need someone to fix the car it's just um they're just going through things and it's not fair uh, that that these sorts of weights fall disproportionately on some people and sometimes they seem to all fall at the same time. But I guess showing up and, and listening is pretty much the most you can do. So that's, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and, you know, one thing when I was listening to that uh, Rogan Rollins conversation that Henry Rollins said uh, that that sort of resonated with me was he was talking about how much he loved being on stage and and uh, he said that he he said he loves his audience he really loves them and I and I felt that I mean I don't know you guys most of you um, but I kind of love you I, I get so much love from you and so much uh, really positive energy now of course you know I, every once in a while I get. I get shit. I get uh, some people don't like the fact that I play music on these Romas. Now I'm getting emails occasionally from people. You're ruining Roma. Oh my God. Or I get the eye rolling like, oh yeah, well he thinks he's so cool because he knows some African band like, oh, everybody knows it. I mean, there's, there's negative energy, whatever. There's always negative energy, but 95% of the energy that comes to me from the people who are listening to this is just fucking beautiful, lovely, supportive, uh, generous, kind, compassionate. And I know it's not only coming to me. I know that you're, you're putting out that same kind of energy to the people around you. And, uh, I just really, every once in a while, I just want to thank you for, uh, for, for connecting, for being part of this community. And, uh, that's one of the reasons probably the main reason I got the van and, and I'm looking forward to spending a good chunk of my life this summer and fall just driving around and meeting you guys and, and uh, spending time with you and, you know, trying to deepen this connection that we have. And, and I'm going to figure out ways to make this community um, a little more tangible if possible. You know, I think one of the things I'm looking forward to is when I know where I'm going and when I'm going to be there, I'll put it out on social media. I'll mention it on the podcast. And then if someone's there, you know, like, Hey, I'll be in Nashville in you know, two weeks. And then 
someone in Nashville can say, hey, my cousin owns a bar. You want to meet at the bar? And we're like, fuck yeah. And then I'll say, hey, I'm going to be at this bar Thursday night. And then whoever wants to can come to the bar and maybe it'll be two people. Maybe it'll be 50 people. Who knows? And uh, we'll get to meet each other. And uh, and really, you get to meet each other, which is really cool. I've seen that happen so many times when I've given, you know, presentations and talks around uh, Sex at Dawn. I, I see people come together and all these friendships form because there's this common thread. And uh, so the people who are listening to this, I know I'm at the center of it and there are all these spokes going out into the world but I want to find ways to connect you guys with each other as well because you're all as far as I can tell uh, almost without exception you're really cool people so uh yeah what else can I tell you about I just came back from the Bombay Beach Biennale Uh, if you follow me on Instagram you've seen a bunch about that if you don't do Instagram don't start on my account uh but you can Read about it. There have been articles in the New York Times, LA Weekly, Vice did an article. Uh, Just Google Bombay Beach Biennale and you'll see what that was. It was amazing. Oh my God. Just a crazy, surreal scene out in the desert. Really uh, a wild, wonderful, unique time. And it was the first sort of the shakedown cruise on the new van. So that was fun. Picked up uh, a woman at the airport, uh, a Romanian performance artist, and took her out. She was the first person to sleep in the hammock in the van. She had, I guess, jet lag, and so she just fell asleep. And that was great to see somebody relaxed and sleeping in the van while I'm up front, you know, going down these windy roads. It was wonderful. Upcoming episodes of Tangentially Speaking. Uh, Adi Jaffe is the next one. Adi, sorry, Adi Jaffe. He's an addiction specialist, really interesting guy, really cool guy. Um, and he has had his own uh, struggles with addiction. He's been arrested a bunch of times. He was dealing drugs and, um, you know, he sort of reset his course. And now he's uh, a therapist helping people through the same sorts of challenges that he faced. So that's a great episode. Uh, Sarah, a, a wonderful young woman I met recently through a mutual friend, um, raised as a Mormon, sort of had a crisis moment when she was 20 or 21, and uh, her life sort of spun off into very interesting places since then, which she'll tell you about. I don't want to ruin the surprise by telling you, but she's <clears throat> she's done things that you didn't even know people could do. I didn't know people could do. Crazy, interesting. Uh, my really good buddy, Tal Ruspoli's mother, agreed to come on the podcast and talk about her life. And this is, if you know anything about Tao, you can imagine what his mother's like. She's fantastic, wonderful woman, Deborah Berger, uh, you know, child actress. Her father was an actor. She was raised all over the world. 15, she's hitchhiking across Africa. She's in major movies. Uh, a couple of years after that, she's married to an Italian prince 30 years older than her, uh, you know, hung out with the Rolling Stones, Jack Nicholson, crazy, wonderful life, uh, really cool woman. Uh, she'll surprise you. Anyway, so those are some of the episodes that are coming up on Tangentially Speaking. I'm going to read a few of your emails today, uh, talk a little bit and then finish packing and get on a plane to Spain.
This is a tune called Listen to the DJ. I'm just going to play a little bit of it because it's pretty funky. Listen to the DJ uh, by Z Trip and Latif. It's Caucasian. It's persuading people to dance till the break seats playing. playing. Okay, let's look at the first letter of the day. Now, this one is from a guy in Denmark. This is a very long, uh, complex letter with, you know, um, uh, columns and headings and subheadings and all sorts of stuff. Uh, so I'm not going to spend the amount of time on this letter that it requires, but let's go through. Here are the headings. Being your own boss. How do you go about being the boss of your own time? Growing and smoking weed. Uh, my question is throughout life, have you ever come upon rules or anything regarding cannabis use? Have you used it for escapism and have you dealt with that? Next heading is peace of mind. What do you think of the massive amounts of information we're surrounded by in these times? How does it relate to human and mental health right now? Reading. I'd love to hear you talk about your approach to both fiction and nonfiction. Do you, is there anything you do in particular to understand and internalize? Do you do it, et cetera? Traveling. Uh, your personal do's and don'ts for traveling. My Lord. Uh, and then the last one is, what helped you transition in life? Uh, how did you transition from the shy and horny young man you were to the outgoing sex expert with crazy stories that you are today? <laughs> how did I transition from that? Um, <clears throat> okay, so briefly... Being your own boss. Well, I think being your own boss largely relates to what you're willing to sacrifice. I've talked about this before. I don't have a family. I don't have a career per se. Like I'm not a doctor, a real doctor. I'm not a pilot. I'm not, you know, I don't have the kind of job security that some people have. I don't have a retirement account. I don't have much money in the bank. I'm going to get depressed if I keep going down this list. Um, I have no friends. I have no house. And no, uh, I do have friends. Uh, and I have experiences. So I have memories. I have freedom. So it's a question of what do you want, you know? And whatever it is you want, you're not going to have the other stuff. So, uh, you know, the way I've managed to be my own boss is that I've, 
not had jobs where I had another person being my boss. What's that mean? It means I didn't have much money. I've lived, I mean, you guys have to understand this. For most of my life, I've lived on probably less than 15 grand a year. So, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to be your own boss when you don't have any money. <laughs> I mean, you don't have a job, right? You know, so uh, things, everything costs something. So, you know, I'm not independently wealthy. Um, you know, I didn't find a, a trunk of gold on an island somewhere. I was just willing to live with very little, uh, very little in terms of material possessions, very little in terms of security. And to be honest, you know, some of that was unfair of me. Some of that was just sort of banking on the fact that my parents would bail me out if they had to. Um, and that's not fair. And some people don't have parents who would bail them out or could bail them out. Uh, I didn't have insurance, for example, when I was traveling around. If something really bad had happened to me, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know. Um, if I'd had a motorcycle, if I'd run into that elephant in Thailand on the motorcycle, which I almost did, what would have happened? Uh, I don't know. I don't know who would have paid for my medical care, if anyone. I, I, I don't know. So there's a lot of uncertainty in my life and a lot of risk and a lot of, um, you know, unfairness in just sort of assuming that people who loved me would take care of me if, if needed. Luckily, it never came to that. Um, but, you know, I have to be honest about that. Uh, growing and smoking weed, have I ever had an issue with that and blah, blah, blah? No, I've never had an issue with weed. I've never had an issue really uh, with any sort of, I assume he's talking about addiction or abuse. Uh, the only drug I think I ever really abuse is probably beer. Uh, you know, sometimes I wish I drank less beer and weighed 15 pounds less as a result. Um, but, you know, I kind of, then I get to the point in the day where I'm like, well, do I want to weigh 15 pounds less and, uh, you know, not drink beer or do I want this beer? I oh, that beer sounds good. So I drink a beer. I, I don't know if that's addictive behavior or if it's just, I sort of weigh the pros and cons of a cold beer and the cold beer ends up winning at the end of the day. But I don't have any sort of um, craving for alcohol. I don't drink hard alcohol, tequila, vodka. I don't think there's even a bottle of anything in my house. I don't think about it. Uh, I like wine, but I don't go crazy with that either. I don't like the headaches. And as I think I've said before, I don't really get drunk anymore. I just sort of get, I get a little woozy and then tired. So it's not a... It's not a real exciting thing for me. Uh, as far as weed goes, um, I used to smoke. Like when I was in college, I probably smoke every day, certainly every weekend. Um, and then I got into hallucinogens and we just sort of seemed like, okay, whatever, you know, maybe coming down or just sort of a casual thing. Um, but no, I've never, I've never like had a big thing for it. I've never... Um, what happens with weed with me is that I feel like I see my state more clearly. So, um, if I'm feeling like I'm not particularly happy, if I smoke weed, I, I'm, I see that more clearly that I'm not happy or 
Um, if my body isn't in the best condition, I smoke weed and I feel how tight my back is. You know, I feel the heaviness in my muscles or whatever. Whereas if I've been doing yoga or I'm traveling and I'm really feeling fit and I've been carrying a backpack for a long time and I'm sort of slimmed down and in good sort of travel condition, I smoke some weed, I feel good, you know? So for me, weed has always been sort of an amplifier of where I am in the moment. <clears throat> so it holds no appeal at all as an escapism drug because it doesn't help me escape. It just puts me more deeply where I already am. So it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Uh, peace of mind. What do I think of the massive amounts of information and disinformation? How does it relate to human mental health right now? Yeah, I think we're, we're in trouble. I think this is a problem. It's a problem in my life too. I've got 20 tabs open on my laptop browser and 20 tabs open on my desktop browser and I find myself, you know, going through Twitter and click on this article looks good. And then I'm, you know, I'll go and look at, uh, I have these different sort of aggregator pocket and, and uh, these things where you read it later. I've got tons of stuff in that. And, you know, I've got all this stuff open. I forget what I even have open, but it's like, oh, I got to read that. That's, that's interesting. That's going to be interesting. That's interesting. But I'm still looking for the new stuff. I'm, I'm not going back and reading the things I clicked on yesterday. I'm, I'm looking for more things. I'm banking them. I'm banking them. I'm like a fucking nervous squirrel uh, in autumn. It, it's like, what am I banking all this stuff for? What am I saving it for? Like, am I saving it for when the Wi-Fi goes out? And, you know, then I'll have all this great stuff to read in addition to all the books I've got all over the place. What is it that I'm doing? I, I think I'm, I'm just getting off on the thrill of the new you know, I'm getting off. I'm like, oh, there's a new article. I'll read it later. I'll save it for later. It's nonsense. It's stupid. It's it's destructive. It destroys my time. It destroys the rhythm of the day. It's uh, it's not a good way to live. And I see myself doing it. And it's, you know, it's and I grew up before the internet. My brain formed before there was this saturation of information everywhere. <clears throat> so I can't imagine what it's like for you people whose brains have formed around this. Um, but I, I do think it's it's really difficult because the kind of contentment that we're all seeking uh, is not to be found in hyper stimulation. It's it's in the opposite. It's to be found in silence, quiet, focus, state of flow. And you don't find flow with constant click, 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 swipe, swipe, click, swipe. That's not where flow is flow is when all that shit is gone so again that's uh something that i'm looking forward to being on the road driving being out in the desert being in the mountains being away from uh you know the kind of uh artificial life that is taking over my days many of our days um, get back to some some tangible reality. It's one of the things I said earlier. I, I want to take this virtual community that you and I and the other people listening to this are all a part of and try to make it tangible, try to be in a room together um, because this is a great tool. This is a beautiful thing that we're able to do this the way it's we're doing it right now. But unless we we bring it home to where we're living, to where our bodies are, then it's all just sort of a fantasy. 
And uh, so, yeah. Now, as far as, um, you know, peace of mind, traveling, uh, that's another thing here. Reading, I don't know. I underline shit in books. I take notes, you know, but everyone reads in their own way. Um, as an author, I'll tell you, I love it when I see somebody with a sex of dawn, copy of sex of dawn that's been beat to shit. I love that. They've taken it out with them. They've taken it into the world. It's got torn pages. The cover's all banged up. I love to see that. I love to see stuff underlined. I love to see notes written in the column, even if they're like, ah, this is bullshit or this is wrong or he contradicted or whatever. I love to see that people engage with books. I don't think books are these sacred objects that should be observed and, and not, you know, I don't give a shit. People, you know, turn over the corners of the page and, uh, I had a professor in college who would underline everything and circle things and, you know, circle this word and loop it back to another word on the other page and like make all notes. And that was the first time I really saw somebody get inside a book that way. And I started doing that too. So I found that helpful. But what I was going to say is <clears throat> this peace of mind thing and some of these self-discipline things, be your own boss, all this stuff. I found in my life, I, I'm very undisciplined. Uh, if you listen to that John uh, Joe Rogan, Henry Rollins conversation I mentioned earlier, those two guys are very disciplined. They're very driven. I'm not. I'm not driven. I'm not disciplined. I'm a lazy fuck. Uh, and the only thing that ever drives me is curiosity or the pursuit of pleasure. Um, and luckily, uh, I find learning things to be deeply pleasurable. So that's why I've learned a lot. I, I find reading to be very pleasurable. I find travel to be very pleasurable. But I'm not any kind of, you know, disciplined explorer or something. I just follow my curiosity. Uh, and that leads to sexuality. It leads to music. It leads to different parts of the world. It leads to interesting food. But I'm not doing anything noble. I'm just trying to have a good time. Now, as far as major sort of changes, like structural changes in life, what I have found is that I am not good at the sorts of changes that require daily discipline. I'm not good at getting up and going to a yoga class. I'm not good at, you know, getting up and doing 50 push-ups every morning before I take a shower. I, I, I've promised myself I'd do that thousands of times. I do it two or three times and then I forget about it and then it's like never happens again. I'm not good at that. What I am good at is made, making major structural changes. I'm good at saying, fuck this. I'm going to go live in Europe and quit my job and sell shit and go live in Europe. I do it. And then the sort of changes in life that cascade from that grand uh, shift, you can sort of plan those. So if it's like, okay, I'm going to go walk in the Italian mountains for six months or six weeks. Now I can decide that and I'll do it. If I decide that I'll do it. Uh, and then as a result of that, I'll lose a bunch of weight. I'll be fit and all these other things will fall into place. <clears throat> but I'm not going to be able to just hang out in LA and like get fit and, you know, eat right and do this. I mean, I, I eat pretty well anyway, but, um, my point is that I'm not good at the daily things, but I'm good at doing one big thing that puts me in a position where the daily things become unavoidable. <clears throat> so that's my method of 
sort of getting things done that I want to do. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but that's about as good as I've done, as I've come up with. Now, as far as traveling, um, and then there's what helped you transition in life from a horny young guy to whatever I am. You know, you trend, life is a transition. You can't help it. You're going to transition into one thing or another. So just try to pick what it is you want to transition into and, you know, keep your, keep your eyes in that direction. And that's where you're going to end up. I think, uh, I don't know. I don't have any secrets. Uh, it just, things happen and they're going to happen. So try to have them happen the way you want them to happen. And, uh, you know, luck favors the bold. All right. Now I'm going to play a song. Now this is a song called another day. It's by, uh, the Joel Havea trio. Joel listens to the podcast. I've played some of his music in the past. He's, uh, I think he's friends with Carsey Blanton. I, I think that's how we connected. I think they did a gig together in Germany or something. And anyway, um, this is from uh, their new record. It's called Setting Sail. The song is called Another Day. I really like it. I hope you'll check them out. Uh, Joel Havea, H-A-V-E-A. You can uh, Google them. They've got a website. They've got uh, they're on tour. I think they're on tour in Europe right now. So if you're over there in Europe, check them out. Joel Havea, another day. The record is setting sail. Have we reached that point in time where one of us has to decide? Are we driving in the darkness to ignore the turn off right before our eyes? Though we got different points of view, I only want the best for you. But before we turn the lights on Promise me you'll stop and ask me to Save it for another day Everything will be okay Put your worries far style to steer the sheep Though in terms of a philosophy Well honestly it can't be it and me Time will tell what this will be Cause you're a drifter just like me But before we throw the anchor in Or sink or swim, I think we can agree
Cause that is how we've got this far, I know But even so The question is if our past will still remain together As we Jolhavea Trio, I should say. Sorry. Didn't mean to disrespect the other members of the trio. Uh, okay, I got an email here. Uh, I, I won't read it because the details aren't important. It's a woman, uh, she was going out with a man for a long time, decided, uh, sort of answered this Tinder thing, hooked up with this other woman, decided she's actually more into women. Uh, and now they've been together nine months and the other woman is moving to a small shitty town. Uh, and she wants to know like, Hey, is nine months too early to decide to go with this woman and live in this shitty town? She's got a good job now. She lives in a nice city. Everything's happening. And yes, yes, it's too soon. Next email. Oh no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I and the other thing that that she mentioned is that she'd only spent one year single since she was sixteen. And the thing is, when you're sixteen, it doesn't count. You're a kid. You're sixteen. Now you're in your mid twenties. Yeah, what's the rush? What's the rush? Um, no, I don't know. I'm 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 the least qualified person ever to talk about lesbian relationships. So please forgive me, uh, anyone out there who is rolling their eyes at me right now but I think in general uh yeah nine months is too too early to be quitting your well-paying job in a beautiful big city to go live in Schittsville with um someone that you're into especially because Schittsville is uh just an hour or two away you guys can visit a lot you you have time to work this shit out and if it's real then you're not going to lose it see I think this is one of the things one of my guiding principles in relationships Uh, you know everyone's afraid to lose their relationships everyone's they act as if it's as if a relationship is something you can uh, control and 
in my view, a relationship is an organic thing. It's it's not like the cat that you keep in the house. It's more like the the bobcat that comes and visits sometimes. If you put food out, maybe it'll come more often. Maybe it'll even hang around. But you're never going to have it sleeping under your bed. Uh, relationships are wild. They They live and die on their own terms. And we're arrogant and foolish to think that we can control them. Now, as I said, we can create an environment that is welcoming to them, but they might still decide to leave. So, you know, you can go and live in this shitty town where this person is that you're in love with. That doesn't mean your relationship's going to last. All it means is now you've quit your job and you're going to go back home with your tail between your legs. Uh, Alternatively, you can stay where you are and visit uh, as often as possible and your relationship can grow and flourish. And then three or four years or a year or whatever down the road, you can say, uh, okay, now it's time. Now, why don't you come back and live in the city? Cause you know, or okay, I'll go there or we'll go somewhere else together. Or, we'll go travel together, whatever. Uh, so that's my first thought on that is, is don't fool yourself into thinking that you really get to decide what happens with your relationships. They live and die on their own terms. The other thing that comes to mind is before I would ever live with a person or make major structural changes in my life in order to be with them, I would go on an extended trip with them. And I'm not talking about a week in Hawaii. I'm talking about traveling together for three months, hiking in the Andes or backpacking around Southeast Asia or um, some sort of some sort of trip where you have to make decisions. You have to decide where you're going to stay. You make mistakes. You see how this person deals with it when you fuck up. You see how you deal with it when they fuck up. You see how they are when you're sick. They see how you are when they stink, when they get, when they're vomiting, when they've got diarrhea. You see each other in all different kinds of light. And that's where you learn whether a relationship's going to last or not. You have to negotiate shit. Are we going to go to those temples again? Or are we going to hang out in the cafe? Or tell you what, you want to go to the temples. I want to hang out in the cafe. Why don't you go to the temples and I'll hang out here? Is that how we're going to do it? Or are you going to drag me along? Or am I going to force you to stay here? And then we're going to have resentment. And so all these kind of patterns that play out in relationships get established uh, in an accelerated rate when you're traveling together. So in my experience, uh, a couple that travels well together, they're going to do well in life. Um, And a couple that is built on shaky ground that shit's going to hit the fan quickly once they get out on the road. So that's my feeling. Before you do anything crazy, like make structural changes in your life, go travel together for at least a month. Um, I know it's hard to get a month off, but try to do it. Go somewhere, deal with those changes. Don't sit in a hotel for a month. Go somewhere and move every day or every couple of days making those decisions and then see how things 
look for the long term. All right, this is another tune uh, sent to me by someone who listens to the podcast. I don't remember if it's the artist or a buddy of the artist or friend of the artist. In any case, the artist is Charlie Haggard. Uh, You can hear more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash Charlie Haggard, H-A-G-G-A-R-D. The song's called Stay in Bed. Love your neighbor, think that's what they say. Listen to your heart, don't be afraid. Buy the ticket, use it every day. Life's a ride, do you want to pay? Opposing symmetry, a business sleeves move with modesty, believe with sense and serendipity. So take an easy way out, or it's time to lose our heads. I know it's colder now, so I'm asking you to stay. I've been a follower of yours since you first started appearing on the Joe Rogan podcast years ago. Many times you've alluded to the life you live outside of podcasting and book writing. You often mention you're either on a boat somewhere beautiful, renting a cabin, or doing some other kind of relaxing thing while you podcast and work on your book. I realize this may be an extremely personal question, but I'm just going to go ahead with it. How do you do it? Did you invest really well in your younger years? Did you inherit a lot of money? 
Or is it really that lucrative to be a New York Times best-selling author from one book? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. First of all, no, it's not so lucrative. Uh, having a best-selling book these days doesn't mean you make a lot of money from it necessarily. Uh, if you look at the money that uh, Casilda and I have made from Sex at Dawn and you spread it out over the years it took to get that book written and published, um, we've probably banked a few hundred thousand dollars uh, since then, and so you break that down, and you take out the agent commissions and the, the you know the promotional stuff and all this, and you know it's uh, it's all right, but it's you know maybe sixty grand a year, something like that, which you know is is definitely lower end of middle class, I guess, in America. So no, it, you don't make a, a shit ton of money. Now Stephen King does. You know, people who have lots of New York Times bestsellers do. Uh, if I were motivated by money, I would have published another book a year later and another one and another one, and hopefully I'd have four or five books being sold right now, and then I'd be making some serious money. But no, that's not the way it happens for me. Um, so no, the, the trick is high quality of life, low expense. That's what it's all about. So how do you do that? You do that by not traveling to uh, the places where everyone else is going. Uh, you do that by earning your money in dollars and spending it in pesos or Thai baht or Indian rupee or Indonesian rupee or, or whatever. Um, you look at countries that are cheap. And you try to go there um, because often those countries are some of the most beautiful and interesting places to be anyway. So, you know, you uh, you you be smart about it. You leverage it. Don't spend your money on dumb bullshit. Don't don't uh, you don't need a hundred and twenty dollar pair of fucking basketball shoes or whatever. Uh, get a good backpack. What do you need, especially for travel? What do you need? You need a backpack decent sleeping bag, uh, light sleeping bag if you're traveling in tropical places. And what, a pair of pants, couple pairs of pants, pair of shorts, flip-flops, hiking sandals, maybe hiking boots if you're going someplace like that, rain jacket, whatever. My point is, a few hundred bucks, you got what you need. Uh, everything else is ego and bullshit and whatever. One of the best things that ever happened to me was when I got robbed in India. I was carrying around a tent. When I went to India, I, I basically packed as if I were going to Alaska again because that's the only place I had really traveled much at that point. So I had a tent. I had a water filter. I had a big-ass sleeping bag. I had all this shit. And I got robbed on the train from Delhi to Varanasi. And the guy stole all that stuff. And fucked up my sleeping bag. He sliced along the zipper. Couldn't be fixed. So I ended up, I bought this little shoulder bag. I figured I'd buy another backpack when I got to Kathmandu. But turns out that everything I really needed fit in this little shoulder bag that I carried around. And then I just ended up with that for the rest for like another year in Asia. I didn't need all that shit, but I was carrying it around everywhere. Uh, so... You know, we always overpack. We always overprepare. And when you get to countries like that where, where life is cheap and, and uh, you're f traveling with first world currency, 
you can buy whatever the fuck you need. You can you don't have a jacket, buy a fucking jacket. You can buy a hat, you buy your shoes, buy flip flops, buy sleeping bag, whatever you need, you can buy it there. Uh, and it'll be cooler and nicer and you'll have the memory that you bought it there. So it's really not uh, a big deal. But, you know, explicitly to answer the question, no, I did not invest well. I'm a financial disaster. Uh, I have student loan debts and, you know, whatever. I'm No, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm the opposite of some kind of clever investor guy. It's just do it. Do it. Stop reading about it, thinking about it, coming up with reasons you can't do it. Just fucking do it. All right. Uh, okay, here's a guy. My dilemma is I've been doing quite well as an actor, but I've hit a bit of a ceiling trying to manage this career and my other career. I have a friend who's a huge success as a director, and he's urging me to quit my job to focus on my craft because he sees where I am as well as my potential. This is something I've been pondering a long time, but I'm reluctant to fully do this because he's wealthy, which makes me think he may not understand. I don't know. I saw my dad struggle through alcoholism and long hours in a career he did not care for, all of which prevented us from a real relationship. I want to have children with the amazing lady I'm married to, but my greatest fear is ending up in a situation like my dad's. Well, This reminds me of, of the conversation I had with A.J. Leon. I, I would seriously, if you're listening to this guy who sent me that email, uh, if you haven't heard that conversation, I would strongly urge you to go back in the archives and find that A.J. Leon had a job, paid really well, he didn't love it, and he quit. Impetuously, impulsively, he quit, and he was terrified of what his wife was going to say and she said something to him like I'd rather live with you under a bridge than in a big mansion with the man I think you were becoming something along those lines and I suspect if this lady you're married to is really as special as you say she'll feel the same um you know a lot of these emails are from people who are looking for permission. And and they're they're looking for a way to take a risk without it being risky. And there obviously there's no way to do that. There's no way to get wet without getting wet. There's no way to get warm without having been cold. There's no way to savor food without having been hungry. There's no way to experience deep, deep comfort without having been uncomfortable. That's just not the nature of existence. So you've got so much going for you. You're doing well as an actor. You've got a contact in the industry, apparently a very good contact, who's not only a friend of yours, who's not only a very successful director, he's someone who's encouraging you someone who's taking an active interest in you and your life and who knows talent when he sees it. He sees it in you and you're second guessing yourself. And it's funny because the story you tell of your dad, you saw your dad struggle through alcoholism and long hours in a career he did not care for, which 
prevented you from having a real relationship with him. And your greatest fear is ending up in a situation like your dad's, which the way you phrase it sounds to me like you're worried that if you go for it, somehow you'll end up in a situation like your dad's, whereas it seems to me that if you don't go for it, you may end up in a situation like your dad's. Uh, uh, you know, you don't have kids yet. Now's when you go for it. What do you have? You have a you have a great wife. Well, or yeah, wife. You have a great wife. Well, if she's great, she's going to support you. She wants you to be happy. She wants you to thrive. She wants you to fucking go. Do it. Be who you're going to be. If she's like, no, honey, don't take any risks. You know, you should just, you know, keep your shitty job and, uh, you know, don't, you know, we can't afford to have any risks. Like, well, then uh, I don't know. Is, is she so great? Because normally, to me, the definition of loving someone is you want them to be as happy as they can be. You want them to thrive. You want them to flourish. You want them to blossom and bloom and whatever the fuck that means. You want that to happen for them, even if it may mean something inconvenient for you. Including... I would have to say the end of the relationship. Not that there's any hint of that in this particular email, but you know, if, if, if I would rather you stay with me than you be happy, then I'm sorry, but I don't love you. That's not love. That's bullshit. So, you know, if you're writing to me saying, Hey, I don't know, should I go for it or not? Well, come on, you're writing for me. You're writing to me. I'm not the guy who says don't go for it. If you go back and listen to every one of these fucking Roma episodes I've done, I can't imagine you'll find a single case where I'm like, nah, don't go for it. You know, uh, at least not in something like that. Of course, I just finished saying don't go for it in terms of like, drop your life and go live in some shitty town with someone you just met a few months ago. I wouldn't go for that. But if it's about your uh, self-actualization, if it's about you possibly having a career that's meaningful and beautiful and interesting and uh, thrilling versus staying at home and punching a clock somewhere, I'm always going to say go for it. And you knew that. And that's why you wrote to me. So there you go. Just gave you what you wanted. Hope you did it. I mean, this email is probably a couple months old by now. So who knows? Maybe you've already uh, taken the leap. But dude, you got you got contact. I mean, so many people try to get into acting and they don't know anyone and they're just like, fuck it, I'm going to go for it. And, you know, sometimes it works. Most of the time it doesn't, I'm sure. But at least they went for it. But man, you've got a contact, a good contact from what you say. Sounds good. All right. This song <clears throat> is by... Uh, Coco Rosie, it's I think they're sisters, two funky ladies. I, some of their uh, songs are really strange. This one's pretty strange too, but I find it haunting and beautiful and kind of surrealistically funky. Anyway, it's called South Second, and the band is Coco Rosie. Mm-hmm. 
scenario can you offer any hope i'm a 50 year old man i've been married to my wife for 27 years and i love this woman dearly our lives have undergone a lot of change over the previous few years 
We have both left Mormonism and have undergone significant changes in our worldviews. I was the first to leave and she subsequently made the same decision. As part of my journey, I came across Sex at Dawn and it changed my life. I saw myself in every page and felt that it helped me to understand myself for the first time. I have a strong science background and I was very convinced by the evidence you presented. I've only had sex with my wife and I've struggled with the idea of never having sex with anyone else for years. But I used to place the blame on Satan for giving me those thoughts. Now, as I'm completely deconstructed from Mormonism and have a better understanding of human sexuality, I'm struggling to the point that I think about it all the time and it's eating me up inside. I've broached the subject with my wife, but she still firmly believes in strict monogamy. She's satisfied with only having sex with one partner for her lifetime. She's tried to understand and has made some concessions with regards to watching porn together and fantasizing together. But this just seems to make things worse for me. I'm deeply frustrated and conflicted and worried that I'm in a no-win scenario. Either I leave my wife, with whom, whom I absolutely adore, or I live a terribly sexually frustrated life. Do you have any hope to offer? What is your experience with how these things can work themselves out? Well, I don't really have a lot of experience with how they work themselves out um, personally, um, but I don't know if I have any hope to offer, honestly, because your wife is totally uh, justified in feeling what she feels and in not wanting to go down the road that you obviously want to go down. Um, you know, sometimes people think that sex at dawn says, argues that uh, sexual monogamy is wrong or that uh, everybody should be sleeping with lots of different people because that's what bonobos do or that's what our ancestors did or something. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I want to be clear, that's not at all what we argue in sex at dawn. Uh, we simply argue that having those impulses is totally predictable and um, understandable given the evolution of our species. Uh, but cultural programming is very strong and is not necessarily uh, false in the sense that it is arbitrary and it is cultural, but uh, once it's in you, you feel it. And those feelings are strong and real and legitimate. And so, you know, I, I often, re in Sex of Dawn, we started off talking about food because I thought it was important that people understand this point. You know, uh, for example, I, I don't like raw oysters. I don't, it doesn't, they don't seem like food to me. They seem like cold salty globs of snot and the last thing I want to do is swallow it uh, but other people savor raw oysters they think they're the most delicious things ever and they're all these you know connoisseurs of raw oysters well I'm not one of them 
and I'll never be one of them. So I think, you know, our sexual appetites are similar to that. Some people are like, hey, I'm a raw oyster eater. And other people are like, no, thanks. I'd have to be starving to do that. And nobody's wrong. Nobody's wrong. It is what it is. You feel what you feel. And, uh, you know, so you're in this situation where you're feeling one thing and she's feeling another thing. Now, what are you going to do? I don't know, man. I don't know. It really depends on uh, how deep your bond with this woman is and how empty your life is going to be if you don't have some other relationships. Now, you're 50, uh, you know, maybe, you know, obviously the sort of testosterone is already ebbing, but I don't think this is, this isn't about being horny. This is about feeling that something's missing from your life if you don't have intimate connections to other women. Uh, how much is missing from your life? How big an absence is that going to be? Because it's possible that you're going to leave your wife and you're going to have a string of girlfriends and relationships and and then a year, two years, three years from now, you're going to say, okay, well, that's what that is. That's what I was missing. And now I want to go back home and your wife's going to say, sorry, that's not on the table anymore. I don't know. I don't know what your relationship's like. I don't know if you can get a what do the Amish call it? Rama, Rama Springa, you know, like a year off where you can go experience what you've been missing and, and have the right to come home. I don't know if she knows you well enough and loves you deeply enough to say, okay, I see you really need to do this. I can wait a year, go do it. Or maybe she's not that kind of person. Maybe it's like, hey, you're in or you're out. Maybe she'll play that card. I don't know. Uh, so I don't know what to tell you, man. Because it's all it's all about how you weigh these things. How important is A? How important is B? You don't mention kids. If you have kids, are they grown up? Are they on their own? Uh, you know, can you leave without destroying someone else's life or, or really messing with it? These are all things to consider. Is there another woman that you've got your eye on? Uh, the one thing I would say is don't leave your wife for another woman. That's always a bad move. Don't leave your marriage for another man or another woman because that's not comparing apples to apples. That's comparing the known with the unknown. And the unknown is always going to seem better. And then it'll soon be the known and then you'll be fucked. So... If you're going to leave your wife because you need to leave your wife, then that's why you leave. You leave because you need to leave, not because you think it's going to be better over there. You leave because where you are isn't doing it for you. Um, and you're 50. That's not old. If you're young, I mean, if you're in good shape, if you're open-minded, if you've got a, a sort of an adventurous view toward life, um, Maybe it's time for you to have a second life. Maybe it's time for part two. And 
be as compassionate and as understanding as you can. And, and there's no reason to blame her, right? She's got the right to feel the way she feels. But so do you. So, I don't know. I hope you can get a, a temporary leave of absence to move out on your own for a while and, and see what you're missing because it's possible you might find out that, okay, what's really bothering you. Like, for example, with me, you know, if all the doors are locked, I'm going to fucking break a window and get out. But if the doors are open, then I'm not in a hurry to leave. What bothers me is feeling like I'm trapped. What bothers me is feeling like another person has thinks that they have jurisdiction over me, over my life and my decisions and what I do with myself, whether it's the government or a boss or a corporation or my parents or, a, you know, a, a partner in a relationship. I, I don't like anyone thinking they can, you know, decide what I get to do and don't do. But if they're not claiming to have that kind of jurisdiction, then then I'm more relaxed. Now, maybe that's your situation. Maybe, maybe it's not really that you need a bunch of strange pussy. Maybe it's just that you need to feel like if you really wanted to, you could do what you want to do. And obviously your wife is saying, no, I, I don't agree to that. Maybe you'll get out there and you'll hook up with some women and you'll be like, ah, okay, well, that's not really all I thought it was going to be. I think I'm just going to go home. That's a possibility. And uh, if you can keep that card open for a while, keep that card in your back back pocket, uh, that, that would be the ideal way to play this. And uh, if not, if it's an all or nothing situation, then I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but you're 50, that's not old. And uh, if you're, like I say, if you're open-minded and in decent shape and have an interesting life, there are a lot of women who, who are attracted to a man like that. So if it comes down to it and it's time to start again, go for it, I guess. But I didn't say that. <laughs> in other words, it's not my fault, however it works out. Jump if you got to jump. That's all I'm saying. If the building you're in is on fire and you got to jump, then fucking jump. If not, then hopefully you can find a, a less uh, extreme way of dealing with it. Okay, another song. And this one is a very funky tune. In fact, I'm not going to tell you who this is. I'm just going to play this and see if you can guess what part of the world this band comes from.
Raskar Tidol Gening Sungung Raskar Kalera Simpe Baik Kawet Tanah Tayalara Tanah Kakulon Gening Mokokok Kalangkang Nage Nte Tempong Komodui Warugana Kuling nanti gue kurungi paket tilamak kaeling Aduh alah yeng tilam kaeling Asola li asola Ade asola li to attend uh that song's called Gulis, g-e-u-l-i-s the band is saba havas mustafa and the jugala all-stars the album is solali and they are from java in indonesia yeah good good little musical trivia entry right there those guys rock the house holy cow it's almost like funkadelic, like there must be 15 or 20 of them on stage really going for it. Uh, okay, last letter, and then I'm out of here. You just have like another 15 minutes of me to deal with, and then we're gone. Okay, this is uh, long-term relationship and solo travel. All right, this is a guy, he's in a relationship with a woman 10 years older than him. She's got kids. They don't have kids together. 
Um, he inherited a business, made some money, not a lot, but some money, went back to school, blah, blah, blah. Okay, everything's pretty well together. Then he says, but I suggested to my girlfriend that I may travel to Vietnam, uh, a place I suggested we both visit, but she's not interested in going. So I suggested maybe I'd go for a couple of weeks. Her first reaction is that we should break up because I'm bound to cheat on her. Uh, okay. So I'm very nervous to tell her I plan on traveling for up to six months. Mm-hmm. I really do love this woman. Uh, but if I don't take this opportunity to take this trip, I'm going to regret it. Is it immoral to keep this from her until closer to my trip? I don't have anywhere to go if we break up at the moment. Uh, and it's a few months before he's going to go on this trip. Should I even try to convince her to try and make a long-distance relationship work if her first reaction is to break up? Should I tell her now or wait? Sorry. Uh, okay. Now, you said to her you wanted to go to Vietnam for a few weeks, but your real plan is to go for up to six months. She said, well, if you're going to go to Vietnam for a couple of weeks, we should break up because you're definitely going to cheat on me. You don't want to tell her that you're really planning to go for six months because you don't want to find a place to live for the four months between now and when you're planning to go. I think those are the main points. So what I'm seeing here is two people who are playing a lot of head games with each other. You're not being honest with each other. You're telling her you're going for a couple of weeks when you're really going for six months. She's pulling out the, oh, if you leave at all, we might as well break up. So if you want me, you better stick around, kid. You're saying, oh, yeah, everything's cool, even though things aren't cool because you don't want to find another place to live. This is all fucked up. So you're both fucking this thing up, as far as I can see. And probably her draconian response is based upon the fact that she senses that you're not being totally honest with her um so uh i don't know whether the relationship is worth uh, trying to hold on to or not certainly not in its current form but that's because you're not being honest with each other if you guys sat down together and really laid your cards on the table and spoke honestly about what it is you're feeling and what you need and what you're planning and who knows where that conversation would go? <clears throat> it might go like, get the fuck out of my house. Or it might go, oh my God, I really love you. And I want you to have a great time. And, you know, go, go do it. Go do what you need to do. Or it might go, yeah, I just thought you didn't want me to go. I thought you really didn't want me to come with you. and But I'd love to go with you. And who knows where it'll go, but you'll never know where it'll go because you haven't had the damn conversation that you need to have. A, to know what you should do. B, to know whether that relationship is worth trying to save. Um, I think it would be illegal for me to rec- recommend illegal drug use on the podcast, so I won't. But I'll just say that sometimes people take MDMA together and have conversations that lead their relationship to a much deeper, more sincere place. <clears throat> I've heard people do that occasionally. Uh, 
or you know just go away for a weekend and uh climb a mountain together there's a beautiful tradition i read about somewhere some native american tribe i don't remember who it was but when a man and a woman or i guess two men or two women uh wanted to be married the tradition was that there was a a mountain a sacred mountain and they would climb the mountain together not speaking and they would spend the night on a ledge facing the east not speaking and when the sun rose and shone that new light on their faces they would turn and look at each other and in that moment they would both know that either this was happening or it wasn't happening But that whole ritual, the silence, spending long time together in silence, and then looking at each other in that fresh light, it's all set up to eliminate the bullshit. Now, it's bullshit for her to say, if you're going to leave for two weeks, we should break up because you'll cheat on me. That means she doesn't trust you or... She's trying to manipulate you. She's playing games with you. It's bullshit for you to tell her you want to go to Vietnam for two weeks when you're really thinking six months. She has a reason not to trust you, dude. It's also bullshit for you to be living with her and her kids out of convenience because you can't be bothered to find an apartment or sleep on a friend's floor or rent a room somewhere for a few months. That's bullshit too. So there's a lot of bullshit going back and forth in this relationship. So there's no way I can tell you what the right thing to do is because you got to eliminate the bullshit first. It's like clean the fucking windows and then we'll figure out what's inside the the fucking car. But you can't even see what's inside the car right now because there's so much bullshit all over the place. So I can't tell you about your trip or, or, or what to do Uh, in the long term because in the short term you need to stop lying to her and hopefully at that point she'll stop lying to you as well and then you can figure out what's worth doing and what isn't worth doing but it's certainly worth eliminating the bullshit from your relationship that's my advice and whether you continue with this woman or you don't From now on, try not to introduce bullshit into your relationships. Try not to say, yeah, I'm thinking of going to Vietnam for two weeks when you're thinking in your head six months, a year. Yeah. Come on. Be real. Be real. You're trying to share your life with someone? Don't lie to them. Don't lie to yourself either. Okay. I'm out of here. That's enough advice for me. God knows what mistakes I've made, what bullshit I've laid out on you people. Um, but I'm out of here. I'm going to go finish packing and get on an airplane to Spain. Man, I hope I don't run into any of these weird situations that are happening in airplanes these days with, you know, people being dragged off and beat up and attacked by rabid stewards. 
this song is called Grillos. It's one of my favorite songs. It's uh, uh, it's kind of a new age song. You know, you might find it a little silly. It's by Paco Fernandez. It's like one of those Ibiza chill out um, compilations. I think I found it on. But it's called grillos, and I think grillos are like uh, uh, those little frogs that make the noise at night. And uh, it's groovy, and there's a, a guitar solo in it that's this particular style of, it's almost like flamenco, but it's uh, Catalan. It's from northeastern Spain, from the Catalan region, and Ibiza, and uh, um, Formentera, and the, the Balearic Islands. It's uh, I forget what the name of the the guitar style is, but it's really I really love it. It's very beautiful. It's you'll hear it's it's uh, it's very fast and passionate. And anyway, I love this tune. I listen to it a lot at night when I'm drifting off to sleep, and uh, also when I'm waking up in the morning. This is sort of a <clears throat> transitional piece of music that I use to move me between states of consciousness. So maybe it'll work for you as well. Anyway, I hope your consciousness states are tranquil and lovely and everything's going great for you out there. I still can't believe that I sit at this table all alone, yammering into this microphone and I push a few buttons and 80, 90,000 people are listening to me out in your art studios or in your cars or in your headphones or in your bedroom at night or wherever you are. It's fucking miraculous and strange and beautiful. So thank you for welcoming me into your life once again. And uh, I hope everything's going great for you out there. Bye. Thank you.